0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the OPD podcast with Joe and Austin. No guest today; it's just us two. And we have a topic request from a listener, a long-term listener, I would say. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about rest days. Me and Austin just discussed this a little bit, and if I understand you correctly, Austin, maybe why and how we decide how many uh, rest days to include in a training microcycle, and what we would recommend that our clients do on those rest days potentially we could even dive into a bit of uh, nutrition rest day nutrition which is a interesting topic as well if we if we get time
1: yeah we could do i mean all of those things um and it it had gotten brought up from a post that i made about rest days about just kind of a not necessarily in the bodybuilding crowd but especially in a lot of the fitness space people doing active rest days like the term active rest days which could mean that they're literally you know i see people like oh it's a rest day but they're going on a 5 mile hike <laughs> you know mm. it's like well it's like uh eh, i don't i think that we might be missing the point so mm. uh, i wanted to go over uh, how we may structure it for different populations too cool man
0: so i guess the most obvious First question is how many rest days would we want to include in a client's microcycle <clears throat> and for anybody listening when i say microcycle that essentially just means one training rotation M- most people are going to structure that into a week but you know there's cases when a microcycle might be push pull off legs off or something like that you know that's not structured into right. a week before it repeats so <clears throat> that's what i mean so how how would you decide um how many rest days to include in a microcycle?
1: Yeah, so I, I generally try to make the cycle a week just because I think it's easier for most people mm. routine wise that work, you know that that work a typical job. Um, there might be cases where I do like an eight or ten day rotation because I want them to hit, uh, you know their their quads three times in ten days or something. You know what I mean, something like mm-hmm. that. So I might. I might structure it like that, but generally I would say most people fall in typical two to three rest days per week cycle, which would make them train, you know, four to five times. But, um, and that's really just going to depend on, depend on how many days they're training, obviously. But I think the one, um, the one thing that I do across the board with most people is I do like to break up the training within the cycle. So like if, if, for example, they are training four days, I would rather them not train all four days in a row, you know, and then take three days off type of thing. Um, just because performance inflammation, um, cumulative fatigue, I think just becomes a bit much for a lot of people, especially as they get more advanced, uh, I mean, you know, how it is like two days in a row it's pretty rough sometimes, you know, you're done, you're ready Mm. for a rest day. Yeah. Well, if you're cramming
0: all of your effective volumes into four days, that's going to be, they're going to be some very
1: difficult days, you know? Right. Right. So, so you got to think if those, and that would also say like, well, how demanding is the the training day? Right. Mm. Because, um, if we're spreading out, we know we don't have to necessarily go into volume, but if we're talking about volume, we know that as a driver, it, it doesn't so much matter how we spread it out. The biggest thing is like, can we recover from it? Right. Mm. So if we are taking, if we are taking the same thing and pushing it into four days versus five, then obviously there's going to be more or it will be harder on those days. So you know it would make sense not to train them back to back you know and mm-hmm. so that's just that's just kind of a probably something that i like to do with most people is i do like to try to break it up and i generally would suggest if they can get away with it no more than two two maybe three days max back to back depending on how it's set up
0: mm-hmm. okay so much like yourself most of my microcycles end up being one week for convenience the only example i can think of that differs from that recently is jasmine's off season programming after she won that pure elite show feedback generally was legs um needed so i structured this like lower upper lower off and it was like one quad dominant and one hip dominant lower um but anyway yeah most people are going to fit into a one week microcycle design. Now when I write pieces of programming, I have this like stepwise structure. And before I come to the training rotation itself, the, the very first thing I do, that's the, the cornerstone of how the programming ends up looking is I decide what the volume landmarks for each body part are going to be in week one. And with most of my clients, these are long-term clients. So I've got pretty good ideas of where they're effective volumes lie, the span of what would be minimally effective and maximally recoverable or adaptive, etc. Um, and depending on the goal of the training phase, I'll allocate a certain amount of volume uh, in this week one structure. And then the question becomes, okay, what is the most efficient way to distribute this volume? You know, if somebody is doing 10 sets of chest per week, uh, it's not going to be hard to distribute that into two training sessions. you know. So if they were just hitting their chest twice a week with five sets, I'm sure most people listening can agree that five sets isn't going to implicate their ability to perform well in that given session twice in the week. Um, but if an individual is doing 30 sets of lateral dealt work or something, 15 sets twice a week, you're going to see... A detrimental performance outcome as compared to if you spread that thinner over the week right so uh, th- this is going to decide how many days per week are we going to have to train to get the most efficiency out of our volume and potentially if we're going to need to train more than once per day you know myself and many clients would train twice a day given some high volume landmarks and therefore how many rest days can we fit in there you know, it could be anything from a client training three times a week, full body, to a client training six days per week, with three of them being twice per day. Um, so ultimately, to answer the question, how many rest days would I include? Uh, an absolute minimum of one. I think pretty much everyone is going to need a day off of resistance training per week as a as a matter of good practice. But um, apart from that, the answer would be just as many as you can fit with your most efficient spread of effective volume
1: yeah and another thing to consider there too would be um in terms of how often they would rest in a cycle would be well how often do we have them do a an actual assigned deload right like when you know if we're if we are in a a more advanced person we have a pretty small gap between Effective, you know, effective amount of volume and overreaching. There's not much gap between the two, right? Like we kind of have to work in that high end of the zone most of the time to get any type of adaption, uh-huh. right? So <clears throat> with those people also, that's also going to mean that they probably will need additional, uh, if you want to call it deloading, resting, you know, whatever um, lower fatigue type of training, a little bit more often than somebody else that doesn't have to train in that upper threshold. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with that, you know, with that considered, that might, that might say like, well, this person trains a little bit more volume in their cycle, but they actually need to rest more often type of thing. They need to deload more often than beginner person over here who could train with, pretty minimal volume and get the result and they're hardly ever going to need extra rest right so yeah, I, i'm definitely a fan of
0: functionally overreaching as a goal each mesocycle and then deload into accommodate super compensatory hypertrophy so uh, you know my model may sound more aggressive the way that we said that you know potentially training six days a week twice a day but also knowing that that's unlikely to go on for much longer than four five weeks before we then have a week of actual deloading i'm really not a fan of like the de volume approach or just take a few days off kind of thing i think a full microcycle cycle deload usually ends up being seven to ten days is is a requirement for that degree of fatigue accumulation
1: yeah and you would and again like this is going to depend on it's going to really just depend on how advanced the person is right mm-hmm. um, those deloads are going to be probably, like you said, a little bit more frequent in the more advanced person. And in fact, if you don't functionally overreach, you're probably not, you're probably not creating enough adaption to make much progress anyhow. Yeah. Chronically
0: under training more than likely, you know, (laughs) I think when somebody says I never need a deload or or, what what do you think? You know, it's usually you're, you're probably chronically under, Voluming or proximity proximity to failureing you know yourself right
1: no hundred percent and and then there's the other the other considerations would be like all of the environmental factors what is what is their um accumulated load of stress outside of the gym lifestyle job relationship sleep et cetera et cetera of course we can if we have someone that's able to stay in a relatively parasympathetic state and kind of just rest by default all the time outside of the gym, they probably can get away with more, you know, and more as in more training volume or at least more intensity or whatever it might be, and maybe resting less. Mm. But if they're a construction worker well, you know working 12 hours a day or something like that i mean that's pretty physically demanding and that's obviously going to cut into probably what their total um ability is volume wise right
0: yeah absolutely so that's um how we plan our rest days into clients training programming um what about the, the rest day itself in terms of activity let's say since we're not resistance training what What would you recommend a client do on their rest day?
1: <clears throat> That's a good question. So um, that that was kind of what the post was about that I had made, and just that I see some trends where people are doing, where they they use this term active rest, right? And that mm-hmm. could mean that can mean a wide variety of things. So originally, I feel that that term was probably geared towards somebody doing some type of like, Mobility work or something on mm. their active rest day. Maybe some, maybe some foam rolling or whatever. Right, mm. um, walking, go going for a walk and whatever, anything like that. That's going to be <clears throat> pretty low, pretty low impact, minimally raising heart rate. It's not going to be sympathetically taxing, right? Um, but for whatever reason, that turned into you know, people ran with that, and that turned into things like oh, I'm now hiking for five miles on my active rest day. Well, now we've just added quite a bit more. I mean, that's taxing. I know if I went and hiked five miles, it would certainly cut into my ability to train the rest of the week, Mm -hmm. like how much I was able to do. Now, granted, I'm not acclimated to that type of thing because I don't do it, you know, but still, it's definitely going to make a difference. So. Um, I would say in general, if someone's trading at an upper end of what they're able to do, like we should be, and we're at, at that upper threshold of, um, you know, creating that adaption, we don't really need to be doing much on our rest day. If, if there's something specific, like if you guys listen to, um, one of the last episodes we did about stretching and improving range of motion, some work like that perhaps would be fine. Right um it's minimally taxing it's it is taxing to some extent but it's pretty minimal if there's if anything (laughs) i'm gonna if you want to do something that's going to improve recovery and uh because some people complain well if i do nothing i I get kind of stiff and i i I don't feel very mobile i'm like well go get a massage on your rest day there you go right Mm. (laughs) like something like that but i'm just not a huge fan of outside of maybe just meeting step requirements or whatever you know neat level requirements um i'm just not a huge fan of people doing a bunch of extra stuff because i would much rather allocate that energy toward volume and training yeah absolutely i think the the main thing to keep in mind is that the
0: The whole point of the rest day is to avoid the sympathetic response that resistance training brings, especially for individuals that are passionate about it or strong or performing lots of volume or using pre-workouts. And this is kind of the cornerstone of your day. The adrenaline, norepinephrine, cortisol drive that training brings is not conducive to your autonomic nervous system lasting for a long time hence the deload um, or driving hypertrophy adaptations you know we need parasympathetic tone for optimal hypertrophy outcomes so think about your activities on the rest day as such you know avoid anything that's going to drive aggressive amounts of sympathetic tone you know i don't think smashing a load of stimulants um, and doing some kind of other rigorous difficult exercise like for example if you're into martial arts this is a conversation i've had with clients a lot of times uh would say well i'm going to put my main training session for martial arts on my day off weights he's like i'd probably rather you paired the two in the same day and had one full day of rest so that you can at least have a 24-hour period away from that sympathetic drive you know
1: yeah so i actually do that myself i give you a real life example because i I think I mentioned before, during the winter months is uh, wrestling season, which I know you guys don't have wrestling there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I do volunteer, and I'll go in. And I personally prefer, and I, I've been pretty consistent with about once a week right now. Okay. I'll go in and volunteer help. And, I, and when I, I do, like, really actually wrestle and roll around with the guys, right? So, and it is, I wouldn't say that it's definitely more of an aerobic activity um, but it's definitely some sympathetically taxing to some extent, right? Um, mm. I prefer to just do it. I do it on the same day that I train almost every week. Um, one of my train, normally like a, a Tuesday, I think is when I've been going most often, but um I totally agree because last thing I want to do on the rest day is not rest because <laughs> that's not resting. You know, and that would go for jujitsu, um, any type of grappling. Boxing, whatever people like to do, uh, and those things are fine. Like I'm not going to tell people not to do them, but we have to make considerations in terms of total workload still, because they're not just just because you're having fun doesn't mean it's not taxing.
0: Yep, absolutely. I think the um, the, not only the sup sorry, not only the activity element, but also the supplement element is big as well. You know, if you're going to go out for a walk and smash three monsters, you know, you've probably not given your nervous system a, a great deal of relaxation. So I, yeah. I, I would quite like to use those rest days as a, uh, a stimulant deload as well, you, you could say.
1: Yeah, I kind of do that with a lot of people too, where I, I'm not anti-stimulant at all, but I also... I also don't really, I like to use stimulants for the purpose that they're intended. You know, Mm -hmm. the purpose that they're intended is not just to smash them just because you want to feel some dopamine, right? I'm going to use them for performance generally, right? For some type of ergogenic effect. Whereas why on a rest day (laughs) when you are resting, do you need to pound a bunch of caffeine you know, you shouldn't. There should be no reason that you're going to take in the same amount on rest days versus non-rest days, and even then, on training days, I don't, I don't use much. Uh, personally, I don't use much. Um, you know, I feel if if I if I can't get an effect out of 200 milligrams of caffeine, like I'm desensitized mm. for the most part, and and generally I use less than that. So and and that's also makes it much easier on a rest day you don't feel like you need it you know what i mean so yeah i know it's like well i i uh have a nice sunday off i'm not training i had four cups of coffee in the morning i'm gonna sit out on my porch like well (laughs) no how about have four cups of decaf and then sit on your porch
0: yeah, and uh, and and this is so, and I've seen this happen so easily to people that are in prep. Let's say you wake up and you do your morning cardio and you're doing that anyway. It's very easy to get into the habit of taking a little pre-workout before that. And then it's very easy to get into the habit of having a few milligrams of nicotine. As you go through the day, you get a little bit hungry. Very easy to have that nice big black coffee while you're out again because you're hungry. In a deficit, it's so easy to be running that adrenaline high all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it prep, you know, we talked about this too. Prep is prep is really just fatigue management at the end of the day. Like we're training to, for the most part, we're training to maintain tissue intelligently. You know, we're not trying to get hurt obviously, but um, prep is just so much fatigue management. If there's, if you can eliminate that, two or 300 milligrams of caffeine once a week for 16 weeks, that's a lot of, you know, that's going to make a difference at the end of the day. So the the fatigue element is huge, you know, not to get too far off
0: topic, but I was on a podcast the other day and I can't remember how we got to it. But I think the one thing that I learned this year most about after having a year where i genuinely believe that all of my athletes came in at their best i think fatigue management was the number one thing you know in terms of androgen load expenditure size of the deficit amount of times that we diet breaked along the way etc that really changed the outcome and these really acute things like avoiding stimulants on rest days or actually just relaxing on your rest day or implementing more rest days can make a huge difference when you see the totality of that over a whole prep
1: right so that's that maybe be uh, maybe a good little subtopic is um rest days during deficit phases whether it be uh re, you know whether it be like a, a cleanup phase or a prep and how that might be viewed a little bit differently because it is and at least in my opinion i mean i'm <laughs> i'm less i'm obviously still concerned with Maintaining a sufficient amount of volume to maintain tissue, like we're you know muscle loss, right? But at the same time, I'm also going to be a lot more inclined to call that extra rest day when I get that update that looks pretty beat up. You know what I mean? Because I know that that's going to benefit the person. So I'm a little little more inclined to do those things during prep that maybe those rest days aren't necessarily. On the script, you know what I mean, um, and because again, that's all going to add up. And and prep, you're in such a sensitive state too, in terms of the amount of cumulative fatigue. That that one extra rest day during the week, where you're really inflamed and your weights up three pounds and your digestion's off, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that one extra rest day can set the tone for the rest of your week. For sure, absolutely, absolutely.
0: um I think at the same time as well, a good discussion uh would be too many rest days and trying to work your effective volumes into less sessions can have the opposite effects that you would want. I've seen this happen not too many times. I don't think this is too common um, but again, I use that example of the individual, let's say they were doing some kind of dealt specialization in. Lateral delts with 30 sets per week. So they try to do that in, I don't know, one session. It's going to absolutely destroy you, you know, and your volume is going to be terrible. Um, and therefore, the nervous system knock of this single session is going to be much greater than if you distributed out that volume over more sessions and had less total net rest days.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of a, that's like a rest day slash frequency discussion, you know, mm. and that's, but frequency, you know, it, if putting the kind of the, any of the research from frequency aside, what we do know with frequency is it can be a great recovery tool, right? Because it's mm-hmm. how we, how we spread things out. And that's how I view it. It's just, it's not so much it, we're looking at a total and we're spreading it out in a way that makes the most sense. Um, something with lower volume that we're like because we talked about specialization phases or or prioritization prioritization phases previously and yeah I mean if we're doing maintenance volume on your pecs and they're only getting hit six six sets a week or whatever it is that's fine just throw it in one day it's not a big deal we don't really need to spread that out but we're doing (laughs) you're doing 25 30 sets of delts by the end of the time you get to set 15 or probably even before that your the quality of the volume your performance is going to be not great <laughs> you know yeah. so um so yeah, I, it out. I think um
0: sorry i think lower body is a great example of that i'm just thinking about my current programming thinking about so i train uh, legs 3 days per week at the moment and i'm imagining how the session would have to look if i made that 2 days per week for one extra rest day it, it, that I would, I'd be destroyed. You know, those two leg days would leave me for dead for more than one day. You know, I'd need more than one more rest day to get over those sessions. So that's the, the, the sort of median point where the amount of total net stimulus and the amount of total net rest needs to be met adequately from both sides. And it's never more is better
1: on either side. right and then then you're adding in other additional concerns like injury risk um and stuff into there where you're doing too much at once type of thing so yeah definitely that's a that's a good point so frequency frequency ties into rest days really well total volume ties into rest days really well um i would say the other thing like another consideration would just be schedule Um, I think that's somewhat of a consideration for most people that work a schedule, you know, so I will, I do generally allow, um, a little bit of input or flexibility there. Like, Hey, I work, you know, like, let's say they are a healthcare worker and they work three 12 hour shifts per week or something. Well, we might try to, we might try to plan their rest days or training days in a way that makes sense around you know around those days or whatever their shifts might be right so <clears throat> if you're or if you are self-employed and you just work all the time then <laughs> you just have to figure it out yeah. but uh <laughs> but but yeah so that schedule would definitely be a consideration and sometimes I'll even make it to where people have uh, irregular schedules like they do potentially change week to week so I'll say okay. Well, we have these two rest days or, or whatever it is throughout the week. Um, insert them wherever works best for you in that week. Just try not to change, you know, train all five days back to back, type of thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's some flex. It's fine to have some flexibility like that for practicality purposes. I think.
0: I think the one thing that we haven't spoke about yet, probably the last thing, would be. Nutrition on rest days? Is there anything that you
1: would prefer to see happen? You know, I've done it every way that you can imagine where you lower caloric intake or carbohydrate or whatever it might be on rest days. You keep it the same, you whatever, right? I'm going to say that the difference is probably not big. Yeah, I agree. Regardless. Um, I'm going to say that the... And, and really it's for a couple of reasons. One one is that training calorically it doesn't burn a ton of calories, weight training doesn't. I mean it burns mm-hmm. some, right? It doesn't burn a ton. It's not but like the it's,
0: majority it's is like, gonna come from post-exercise oxygen consumption, right. which is gonna be happening through right. your rest day anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean a lot of it's gonna be that epoch effect and it's gonna happen after that session the rest of the day and then the following day or whatever, right? So and plus training being so sympathetic. It it can impact appetite, right? Because you know digestion and appetite is a parasympathetic response. So, uh, you know, that might be a consideration. So, yeah, I might, I might have somebody eat a little bit more on a rest day, but it might be something really simple, like we're going to use an intro workout, Mm. and that's it. You know, we use an intro workout on this day and we don't on the rest day type of thing, or. Or we just keep it all the same flat across the board or hell if they give me some type of feedback that says that they're overly hungry on rest days and that they're not on the training days i might just flip it i might just say we're going to eat more on the rest day you know so i'm not opposed to either i think it's going to depend on how intense the training is and then also just like what kind of digestive and hunger cueing type of feedback that we're getting from the person
0: yeah Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything in there. I think much like yourself, well, definitely much like yourself, because we've come from the same bodybuilding circles. I've I've been down that uh, very extreme nutrient timing route where we will go no carbohydrates on rest days, polyunsaturate, monounsaturate fats only, much lower calories to account for the drop in expenditure, which, like you said, is extremely acute. Um and I've really tried to find some really good supporting data for body composition goals on this and you know, I came up with just about nothing. So I thought okay, you know, and anecdotally as I sort of slowly move clients over to maybe just including more carbohydrates and then eventually just like the same diet on all days, I didn't see absolutely any measurable difference. In fact the difference was that the client for the most part would be less stressed about having to think about eating a different thing on a different day. Um, huh you know so (laughs) yeah for the most part unless the client specifically says i prefer it this way or i've got no appetite on my rest day or i've got more appetite you know whatever i'm keen just to keep things exactly the same you know find what works well for the client and just rinse and repeat that especially if you know a lot of my clients are only having one rest day like what are we trying to do
1: with that you know right yeah exactly so i i'm again, like if, if I see something that works, wor- works well for that person or a pattern that works good, then sure, I'm going to roll with it. But I definitely would say as a whole, I use less nutrient timing now than I did, you know, years prior. Mm-hmm. Just overall. Um, yeah. and, and that's, I would say that that's kind of a whole a different topic. But I probably use less nutrient timing just in general, even on training days.
0: You yeah, know, so I,
1: I, I've really um,
0: moved not far much. away from that now yeah i am. Um, uh, you know again i was, I've got Dean McKillop staying with me at the minute, and we were talking about this a bit. It was like the the comfort the comfortability of just spreading nutrients over the day in a contest prep as compared to imagine if you had to like drink way intra. When you could eat some chicken, you know, <laughs> or right. you know, having the intra-workout carbohydrates, when you could eat some more fruit or something like this, and um, yeah, I've, I've, I just, uh, I, I struggled to find a, a substantial amount of evidence to support heavy nutrient timing and body composition goals over the long term. And anecdotally, <clears> I, I haven't seen much either. So, yeah. Yep. So to answer the question, sounds like we both uh, just like to keep it the same on rest days, unless there's a client
1: preference. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I think that pretty much that pretty much covers everything. We're we're more or less on the same page it sounds like. So, here's, um, a, here's a thing that just jumped into my head. So, um th- this is just a random
0: aside, but what I will say as well for clients of mine that are using oral anabolic steroids like in the case of a contest prep, if we use okay. an anavar for example, I I usually have that within the total androgen load. Um, set in a way to give you some myotrophic performance enhancing benefit in the gym. So I'll usually not include the oral on a rest day, especially something like Anovar that, you know, you can potentiate with caffeine um, and I'd rather keep the caffeine out of the rest day. So yeah, that's another one sort of PD wise. uh, I usually just drop
1: the orals on that day if the client is using them. Yeah. Fair. Perfect. Yep. I agree with that. No disagreement there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Off the top of my head. I, th- I mean, I think that everything else is going to be, of course, just kind of nuanced and contextual person to person. So um, yeah. So what we can close it out, but what's going on? What do you have coming up? I know we're in the winter months, so it's not a lot of not much uh... show wise right at the moment.
0: Well, you say that we've got our sort of
1: first yeah. series
0: of shows coming up March, April. So, I've got yeah, clients. I've got clients in prep. I've, like I said, I've got yeah. Dean who's coming up on ten weeks out of his first regional. He's um, he flew into the UK one week ago today with his wife Lizzie, um, and he's staying at mine. At the moment, training in the doghouse, prepping in person, which is very cool. It looks absolutely nice. insane. So we're going in for the for a regional at the end of March, and then a pro qualifier, trying to get that pro card early April. Um, very good. He'll be going up against Joe Ballinger, my client. Always a bit awkward, isn't it? Two clients in the same yeah. pro qualifier. <laughs> Actually, I've got three. I've got Joe. Ricky Varney and Dean McKillop all in that same qualifier. Oh, yeah. yeah. So three guys going for the same pro card, but they're all fantastic athletes in a different weight class. So, um, you know, very interesting if they could all meet in the overall, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How about I, you, man? <clears throat> yeah. Kind of the same. I mean, I have some people that are uh, early, early to mid prep right now for spring shows um let's see mostly well i do have i do have a couple people working towards national um national level pro qualifying shows but i'll have more of that come fall and um later in the year like NPC nationals north americans which for us is like september through december so <laughs> we'll have a couple couple actually returning people that had already competed nationally that place pretty high. So they're kind of getting close to that, close to that card, you know? Um, so those will be fun. Um, probably have, I've, and I actually have, I actually have a, a handful of, um, super heavyweight guys that are, you know, 300, pound off season guys yeah. that's
0: all i see you've and collected
1: a, few, a little, a little group right. of these huge guys yeah yeah so that's always fun i think i have three right now that are over 300 pounds in pretty decent shape in the offseason mm, that's cool that's very yeah. cool so that's that'll be fun um but yeah yeah everything's good we're going to dallas in two wait two weeks three weeks we go to Dallas in three weeks, which is a, a seminar there. So, and I've never been to Texas. So that'll be, well, I've been to the airport. I've never been outside of the airport in Texas. So mm. well, that'll be fun.
0: Somewhere um, I'd like to go in the future, Texas. I've always wanted to go to Texas.
1: It's right by Dallas. Um, it's Allen, Texas, which is kind of like a suburb, I guess, of Dallas, but I could be wrong on that, but um, it's, Relatively, I'm not sure how far because Dallas is so damn big. It's at least somewhat close to Destination, which is the gym that you always see everyone in Texas training at. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know whether we'll go to Destination or not. Um, maybe go check it out. But, you have to, uh, surely. Yeah, I think so. I think by default, that's kind of a kind of a given. When in Rome, as they say. Yeah. Good. Go play with all the machines yeah. um, we're moving too so that's a big that's a big oh, really yeah spring summertime so oh man that's cool yeah so we'll be we will be moving um, literally like i not even a mile down the road but we'll have some land so we'll have about about five five and a half acres or so
0: so you're not moving out of the state or anything like
1: that. No, no, we're 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 literally moving right down the road. It, it'll be, it'll just be more land. I'll still have a, I'll still have a barn. My barn will have electric in it now, which will be nice. You don't so, have electric. How'd you get so no, no lights? I, I run a, I run a, an extension cord all the way from my house out to it. Hardcore For, shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always done. And that runs my measly little lights that i have in there um so i'm gonna be spoiled now because i'm gonna have electric in the barn oh you gotta move all the kit now that's a ball lake yeah i'm paying somebody to do it I'm not oh touching yeah 100 percent <laughs> i'm not fucking touching it dude we moved it we moved it from the gym when we closed our gym moved it to the house and it, was awful. it was awful oh man i know i had more stuff in well,
0: yeah. yeah. All, all of my kit, when it got dropped off, I'd just come home and it'd be on the drive. i am like, oh, no. I had to get it down yeah. to the gym. It was, you know, having to break it all apart and then put
1: it back together again and whatnot. It was, yeah. it was hell. I'd never do it again. No, never. I put together most of the stuff I have, I put together. I have I have a pendulum squat coming sometime. Oh, sweet. Whenever. I don't know. Everything's been on back order, but i have that coming i was i was between that i was between that and a hack squat but i like the pendulum much better to be honest because it has a couple multi-level foot plates where i can do more bias towards um like hip bias and quad Mm. bias so so we're gonna have that and uh yeah, I'd love to have an adductor and an abductor machine
0: too. Yeah, I've got an adductor. The Cybex See, I, VR2
1: adductor is really nice. I'd oh, like well. to have them. I, I just use, um, I literally just use different size bands right now mm. for that. But um, if you get a, the
0: Eagle adductor, it can recline so you can train mm. hip adduction in hip extension which is a
1: you know cool cool way to train very difficult yeah we used to have an old school nautilus one that reclined that one does yeah
0: yeah they've got that intent in stafford i think here it's quite cool yeah so
1: but yeah so that's what's going on right now good stuff good stuff
0: sweet cool well we can close it off there then so these guys don't have to listen to us ramble about kit uh guys thank you for listening and thank you to morton shout out long time listener for the great topic requests if anybody listening does have a request then just drop me and austin a line and we'll definitely cover it for you please share this podcast on your stories tag us in it because we love to see it please also check out the sponsor links below we'll catch you guys next week peace